this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. Hey, do us a favor. If you like listening to the show, please just take a few minutes, not even a few minutes, one minute to go into Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. on the show multiple times but like you're you're the first person to return from when it was called creative minds before i changed it back to random badassery and i was you know usually i don't go into these like any notes and then when i was sitting down this morning i was like oh i want to ask him about that oh i want to ask him about that so i'm actually coming in with notes that's good that you've prepared because i was terrified I, I will say this: I've I've got a lot of practice in the last year, and it's far more like a conversation than an interview. So, that's uh, the trail of UFOs. Crap! I should have sent you eight. I forgot. I only sent you through seven. Everything you guys do, it's like I, I see where you where you've gone, and I'm like, wow, that was such great production quality. And the next one comes out, and it's like not just a movement forward. You guys always seem to leap forward. And I thought that this one was just by far the best thing that you've done. Oh wow! Thank you. It's fantastic. And I mean, it's such depth too, you know, like maybe that has something to do with it as well. Being able to go eight episodes. Yeah. There's a lot more planned for this too. Yeah. It's an ongoing thing, right? It's going to continue going. Everything's changed. I mean, we can talk about this on the show, but everything's kind of changed as far as like how it's ongoing. It's, it's kind of altered because originally it was going to be like each season quote-unquote season was going to be a different topic now we're basically like launching multiple ongoings at once so on the trail of ufo season two is going to come out uh probably next year and on the trail of bigfoot season two is going to come out next year and then we're also going to do and on the trail of the lake michigan mothman special and then there's probably going to be on the trail of haunts or hauntings coming out um fairly soon too so we just have to there's a lot of like production things we have to figure out as far as doing all that. Cause I can't, I obviously can't shoot all of that. Right. Um, but we have people that are involved that we could, we'll figure it out. Something along the lines of what you did with on the trail of champ. Um, 
Yeah, to an extent. The problem with Champ was that I had no involvement in it at all. So it's just like after everything was done already, basically. Yeah, and I kind of tried to help steer things. And Alexander did an amazing job because obviously he kind of like set the stage for what we would do going forward. But um, I, I also, when I watched that one, I feel like it, there's something about it. It doesn't feel like an SDM production. And it could also just be that his budget was non-existent and he was trying to do everything by himself. So I just want to be more involved in the post-production side of of anything else that I'm not there to shoot. For sure, I'm involved. I'm basically going to do everything for On the Trail of Bigfoot again. So I'm planning on shooting, narrating, being in it, all that stuff. And then uh, UFOs and uh, the hauntings thing will probably... I'll be involved, but I'm not sure yet to what extent. Well, I can imagine the reason the Bigfoot one was because Bigfoot, as far as topics, as far as I can tell, is your baby. Like, that's your big topic. Yeah. Are we recording? Yeah. Sorry. Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure because I was going to, uh, yeah, we, I don't know. I don't know when this episode is dropping, but we're going to drop the announcement pretty soon. But yeah, the, it's definitely the subject I can't get away from. So I keep coming back to it. And, um, uh, we're in the process of like planning how to do it because UFOs and Bigfoot are really different. Like UFOs, we could do a dozen seasons just like season one, like structure wise, and you wouldn't run out of things to talk about. With Bigfoot, you're going to run out of stuff pretty quick. Like I actually feel like we sort of said everything we needed to say about the history of the entire phenomenon in the in the first season. So what what does like a season two and a three and four or whatever look like? And so um, I've kind of narrowed that down to being more um, localized. So each episode is going to be sort of in a specific region. Um, so we're in the process of planning the first couple episodes of season two. And it, it looks like um, we're doing one of two things. I'm not, I, these are being locked down but the first it's i know it's going to be a two or three parter that starts it off um and it's either going to be alaska or uh, a trip up the bc coast on a boat which we're talking to some people about doing so we really want to get out into like areas that are sort of the, the original bigfoot habitat and then and then sort of come back to our roots so i'm sure there'll be some i'm not yet positive what the states are going to be that we are involved in in season two but i know i want to hit west virginia um because we for whatever reason we haven't done anything with with west virginia in any of the on the trail of stuff yet um so i want to get to west virginia and um there's a researcher or investigator there named les odell and uh i think him and i are just going to go out for like a few days in some active areas and um see if anything happens and then also you know like i'll be it won't the show won't become just me like with night vision running around in the woods <laughs> we have plenty of that <laughs> yeah it'll, it'll still be the the stuff that sort of sets us apart from that kind of stuff but um i do want to get more investigative in general with on the trail of moving forward i mean on the trail is the lake michigan mothman that that project's going to be very uh very much like a look at in investigation like like you like paranormal investigation because i just don't feel like we've done that yet something more akin to like a hellier um 
I haven't seen Hellier, but I oh, I would I would say it's um you know like what I always go back to are the shows that I love are like the the seventies and and some of the early eighties docs. Um, there's one that was about uh, Robert W. Morgan looking for for Bigfoot at Mount St. Helens, and it's been it's weird because it's been reworked into like multiple titles so every now and then i see footage from it popping up in some other doc from like the 70s or 80s i never heard of so that's kind of weird but it was actually called on the trail of or in search of bigfoot but it wasn't part of in search of it was just called in search of bigfoot and it was like this 80 minute long doc about robert w morgan and his crew looking for bigfoot near mount st helens and um, they end up getting driven away by forest fires and it's really interesting because nothing happens like they're right. the entire doc is them like running around looking for Bigfoot and not finding anything, but there's something so honest about it. And I've always loved that. And so I want to see that kind of like approach to, to a paranormal investigation. And it's more about like, like Tobias and Emily Wayland are going to be our, our central figures in that in on the, on the trail of Lake Michigan Mothman. And they're going to talk to witnesses and, you know, other investigators and stuff like that. So typical SDM, but more investigative, I think. I feel like there's this new wave of, in a way, like you said, going back to old wave of, uh, I'm hesitant to always use the word paranormal because I feel like there's kind of, when I say the word paranormal, people usually just automatically go to ghosts. Sure. the unreal is a word that I'll use. Um, but, you know, just dealing with this kind of stuff lately in the last, I'd say everything after Unsolved Mysteries until recently, everything has been sensationalized. And not that Unsolved Mysteries wasn't, but it was also the first time that this stuff was really mainstream other than in search of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm obsessed with Unsolved Mysteries too. Oh, me too. You know, I've gone through the Prime, gone yeah. through every episode on Prime about 12 times. Yeah, me too. Like, well, we can probably have conversations about episodes. <laughs> yeah, I, my favorite. My I can tell you, my favorite recreation is the uh, the um, Hudson Valley Triangle episode. Oh where yeah, they get, where, where they get into the Black Triangles, and that was like one of the thrills for me about making on the trail of UFOs, getting to do Hudson Valley. But you know, after the fact, I was like, man, that was that was fun, and we did a good job, and like Santino didn't, you know, some nice effects for our Hudson Valley thing, but um. It was no unsolved mystery. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always go back to my first thing when I think of it is Matthew McConaughey when he's, uh, I can't remember the name of the guy right now, but uh, Gene Bell is the guy that kills him. And he's in at one episode, give me your keys. I'm like, oh, yes, you learned how to act later. <laughs> yeah. But that was the beauty of weird, it, too. It is. And there's a weird. Um, timelessness to those episodes. There's still, see, there's there was something really unsettling about that show because I can remember as a kid being at my grandma's house because my my family didn't have TV, like my, my grandparents had cable, and I'd be over there and I would I would leave the room if if that show was on. Even the theme song freaked me out. Oh yeah, as a kid, and um, there's something still that holds up about it. Like some of those recreations are really unsettling there's the one about the girl who tried to tell everyone that she was being like stalked and threatened and no one believed her and oh, the one that she, they found in the ditch yeah yeah they end up finding her well i think she was 
She was, was tied she? with her hands behind her back. Yes, right? that's it. Yeah. No one. But then they tried her. to say it was suicide. Yeah, they claimed it was suicide. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, yeah, we just, everybody. Just, welcome to nerding out yeah. on unsolved mysteries. <laughs> I was gonna say we should just change this into a an unsolved mysteries. I could seriously so. talk about this for days. Like, yeah, I know. It's, no it's, joke. It's really good, and it's funny because um, um, I heard that the whoever owns the rights to Cosgrove Media. Okay, so I heard that that there's like a a couple, there's there's two men or something that are like at the at sort of the center of all that, and they supposedly really do not l- like the paranormal episodes. And so I had heard um, someone I know in Hollywood was actually trying to get the rights to make the show, but they were pitching it very heavily as like a not a paranormal show, but but there would be a much more of a focus on the paranormal. And I guess that was like a huge turnoff for, for what did you say, Cosgrove? Cosgrove, I'm not sure if they still Cosgrove. own the rights to it. They did. Okay. Um, but then I can't, I'm totally blanking on the name of the people who finally got it. Yeah. Onto um, Netflix or whatever. Film Rise. Oh, Film Rise. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. But someone, didn't they just announce that someone's like doing new episodes? I thought we had, I thought someone had announced that recently. I hope so. I mean, there yeah. was that re that, that revival briefly in the early two thousands with Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, oh, I don't um, think I saw that. I saw the Dennis Farina. Yeah, and that was terrible. <laughs> it was like yeah. the they cut everything in like a quarter of the of the you know they cut out as much of the reenactment as possible. Right. They lost all the charm. Farina is awesome, but yeah, yeah that, was, that, that was that was the that only thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I started those those hit. Prime first, so I started going through those, and I was like, "Oh, this is unsatisfying, painful." Yeah. So, did you? Um, sorry, you're you're like I've only talked to maybe like two people, and I've you might be the first person I've talked to where you've watched the whole almost the entire on the trail of. So, what did you? Can you give me like give me what you? Well, first of all, the first note that I have that goes along with what we're saying right here mm-hmm. is the reenactments in episode one totally gave me the unsolved mysteries vibe. Oh, cool! Yeah. And yeah. I'm using reenactments with air quotes because it's not really, there's not people reenacting. Right. The special yeah. effects. You know, yeah, the, this one we were, we were bridging. I mean, it's very different from on the trail of Bigfoot because on the trail of Bigfoot, I mean, there's some, some like supposedly spooky footage or something whenever someone's telling a story, but it's, it, I wanted to stay away from recreations with Bigfoot and I probably will even more so with season two. Um, but with this one, I almost wanted to bridge the gap between like our movies and on the trail of and still keep it, you know, don't put like actors in it uh, or even or even like full blown animation, like what we do with the movies. But like do do something that was like a POV kind of perspective thing. So good. I'm glad Santino did most of the the effect shots for the recreations. There's a few there's a few different ways we did the recreations. There was. Santino doing like the animation in that one, especially when Dan Weiss is telling his story and it cuts to like the, the, uh, the candy ship is what Santino calls it, um, <laughs> in the sky. Uh, that was, that was all Santino, um, which is like a blend of CG. I think it, it actually is just CG on, you know, real, real shots and then he makes it look cool. Um, and then there's, there's actually just some lights. Like I did a lot of shots of, you know, cause eventually you're, this is the most expensive thing we've ever done. 
Right. And, and yeah. And at a certain point money ran out and I, and I was shooting like these, I bought these little lights on, this is some real inside baseball stuff that no one's going to care about. Um, I bought these lights on like Amazon and then I would take them in my office and turn off all the lights and film them on the ground doing different things. <laughs> and then I, would uh, put those over, like I, I usually like sort of comp them into other shots to make it look like a light in the sky or whatever. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I think it does a, a decent job. It has a very like 1980s effect to it. And then weirdly enough, I actually did some of the effects shots myself as well. I think, well, hands down, I would say one of my other notes that I had coming in was best special effects I've seen in anything like this. Really? They just felt genuine. Oh, wow. And felt like you guys were trying to push it too far, mm-hmm. but it also didn't have a cheesy vibe to it at all. It was just exactly where it needed to be. Yeah, episode six is... Um, there's like 40 effect shots in that one episode alone. And Santino did... Santino did like... 12 i think and then i did close to 20 that's the ghost lights episode right yeah that's the spook lights yeah and then i did a bunch on episode i did two of the recreations on episode seven there's only one in the entire series that i will proudly like say hey i did that one and that's (laughs) when um that's the gary tribert abduction story where he's talking about how he was a kid and walked up this hill and saw a ufo over a gravel pit Um, I did that one myself and made it look like it's like eight millimeter or something. I I like the way that one turned out. Yeah. I mean, like there's also something to be said about how you, there's a cohesiveness to all the episodes, but there's also an individuality to the style of each episode. Oh yeah. This is awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Just that. These are, these are the things I never get to hear from, from anyone. (laughs) Like, like especially this early in the game, because you're you're one of like maybe eight people who see the whole thing. I noticed I was going through and looking at the underneath on the YouTube, and I was like, it was like zero views. I'm like, am I really like other than the staff, the first person to see this? Yeah, it's like it's mostly us and my son and uh, my two year old son, and uh, and then I send it to, to some friends. I don't know how many views we've had on them. I gotta watch that stuff because sometimes those links get away from us and people will share stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when we made on the trail of Bigfoot, someone that was in the final episode decided it would be cool to just share it on his Facebook page, even though it was oh. two months away from coming out. And I went to bed and when I woke up, there were 300 views on it. And I was like, oh, you no. have to be kidding me. It wasn't even a finished cut. Um, so now I'm like real paranoid about it. Check on episode three then, because you have like forty views on that one. That's fine. That like that's that's within the realm of possibility because a lot of times that's me or you know like that's <laughs> just checking I'll, it I'll, over. Yeah, I go I back the same through thing. and rewatch everything <laughs> and double check and triple check everything, quadruple check. But yeah, the the um the effects stuff on 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 this one is is pretty impressive. Given, I mean, even though it's the most expensive thing we've we've done, I think. Episode six alone probably has more effect shots in it than most of our films. Like most of our 90, you know, not 90, most of our like 60 to 70 minute movies. So, and that's a 27 minute episode. Yeah, there's, in the first one, there's that Unsolved Mysteries vibe, but there's also like a very uh, Casey Neistat vibe to it as well. Oh, cool. I do that. I, that's, that's who I watch. Um, Casey, uh, Peter McKinnon, mm-hmm. um, this guy Levi Allen, who who does a 
a YouTube channel called Left Coast, who I actually... Oh, I know that guy too. Yeah, I'm going to try to reach out to him because I really want to see if I can get him to DP something. Like maybe... maybe I, I told my wife this the other day and she's like, you're insane. But I, I want to reach out to him <laughs> and see if I can get him to like be, be cinematographer on like a season of On the Trail of Bigfoot. He's doing think, Squarespace commercials now. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Hi, friends. Yeah. That's how he started all of his videos. Yeah, he does. Hi, friends. He's, seems so nice. I know. Um, it's the Canadian thing. Mm-hmm. And he lived in that van for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that was cool. Recently, he started talking about that. And because uh, my wife is really hard on van life people. And uh, so when that happened, she, she thought it was comical. And then I, he did a, a video recently and explained that that was because, um, that was just simply because of like necessity, because of the way that their jobs worked and everything. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Like if I was younger and didn't have a kid, I'd probably live in a van. Mostly because I'd be, probably be you know, poor or something. <laughs> My it's not that option. different than these tiny house people either, is it really? Yeah. No. But yeah I'm obsessed that's, with tiny houses. So <laughs> My mom is. I bought her like three of those books. Boy, I'm really uh, rambling about nonsense here. But yeah, That's they, exactly what I want. <laughs> I want you to relax and have fun. The nice stat, and that's cool that you you said that. I mean, I I tried to to do my own thing with that style because, like, the, my only other experience editing that way was uh, Bray Road Beast, and um, with Bray Road, I was watching a lot of Fincher, so like that was I was I mean I I was into Left Coast and all that stuff at the time, but I think I was watching more of like Fight Club and stuff like that to try to figure out the rhythm of, of that kind of editing because it's really not my it, first of all, it's not really my thing. It's not my favorite way to tell a story. And then the other thing is that it, it is time consuming to an insane degree. I, I know I've done video editing, so I completely understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that, that is extremely time consuming. And, you know, the idea of on the trail of originally was that it would be kind of like a side project. And, um, this took, uh, I started editing this at the end of October. And I just wrapped what like two weeks ago, um, or a week ago, maybe it's not a, maybe it isn't even full two weeks. So I mean, it was basically like um, three, basically three months of editing, which is a lot of editing for us. We don't, you know, usually a movie is like six to eight weeks where we're in and out of an edit, and um, so this was like a, a very extended edit for me. And there were days, you know, where I was here at the office from like. 7 a.m. till 11 p.m. stuff like that, and it, it a lot of it was because of that style. Like, um, and I brought on an editor assistant at one point who was a buddy of mine who did a lot of videography and editing, and he used to work for like a church and did their their like services or you know like we put them online and stuff, and was good with editing. And I gave it to him, and I was like, I basically gave him. I'd never done this before, but I thought it would work. I gave him a cut that was basically like a cut of on the trail of Bigfoot. So it was, you know, like six, seven minute edits or seven second edits and, um, and stuff like that. And I was like, here's, here's the final cut. Like this is the story's in place. I basically just need you to go through and do the, the like stylized stuff. Just, you know, they, I think he called it sweetening, like sweetening the edit. And, um, after like the first week he gave it back to me, I was like, dude, this is, I, I don't know how to do this. This is insane. <laughs> and I would, I would, try to, I, I would try to explain it. To, I'd be like, well, like someone will say like, um, we'll mention offhandedly, uh, like, a 
an ambulance seeing a UFO. You would smash cut into like an ambulance, into like a close up, like three close ups of some, <laughs> some like ambulance lights spinning, jump out, show a quick cut of a UFO, jump back in. And I realized like in explaining it that way, I, first of all, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm trying to explain it to someone else who doesn't know what they're doing. And in the end, it just made more sense for me to just go back to doing it myself, which is why we ended up in a situation where I was here every night till like 11 p.m. There's there's a certain like almost like comedic timing to it. Even though you're not really... Your effect isn't really comedy. It really is like punchline, punchline. And and there are 100% times where I screw it up. Like I, th- I think anyone who actually knows editing when they're watching this will pick it up like when it, when it works and when it doesn't work. Um, and a lot of the times if it didn't work, it was just, I was to a point where I was like, I had to finish this and be done because I, I have other <laughs> stuff to do. So I, um, I did watch a lot of Casey though and, and Peter McKinnon and, and the left coast to kind of pick up on all that stuff. And, and I think that helps. And I, I'm, I like editing like, like this. It's just very time consuming. My, my preferred style is on the trail of Bigfoot where you're, your typical cut is like six six seconds long. You know, like your B-roll is just sort of taking in the landscapes. But this is different too. Like it's not it's not supposed to be like that. This wasn't... On the Trail of Bigfoot, it's supposed to be very much a travelogue. And On the Trail of UFOs is sort of like a travelogue, but it's mashed up with like an investigation into a phenomenon. Right. So it's, it's a little different. And, and also I just wanted it to feel more immediate and of the of the moment and i just didn't think that my traditional sort of editing style would would bring that and also just to keep things interesting we're, if we're doing three or four projects a year it gets really boring if i'm just coming into work you know every okay cuttering it yeah and just doing the same thing over and over and that's like why um i think you mentioned already like the 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 well, you were talking about the style of the episodes themselves, but I think I try to do, we try to do every movie differently too. Like, totally, you know, because otherwise it really does get kind of boring. Like you just feel like you're doing the same stuff. Biggest example of that is Momo. Yeah. I mean, that one's out of everything. Momo is completely different than everything. Yeah. And, um, and that whole thing was like a huge learning curve for all of us. Like everyone involved it's it's um i said recently that ufos is like probably my favorite shoots like just the shoots themselves are probably some of my favorite shoots but momo is like by far the most creatively fulfilling thing that that i've worked on it was also we got to a point where i was like i don't think this is going to be a success (laughs) and i and then i also got to a point where I was like, I don't really care. So like, and I mean, it sucks because to be though. it is. And it, it wasn't like, it was a bomb. It didn't do anything. And, oh, and really? yeah, I mean, it was a huge bomb and it, and it, it's audiences, you know, split as far as like who people either hate it or love it. And, um, and that sucks for a lot of us. Cause you really do like the crew puts so much effort and heart into everything we do which i think is very obvious yeah thank you and and like there's times where like when when something bombs like that we've had off the top of my head we've had three bombs but boggy creek was kind of a bomb people don't really know that 
Um, but the Boggy Creek Monster movie was kind of a kind of tanked. That's interesting because um, those two mirror each other. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, what's interesting about that is because of that, I was convinced that like on the trail of Bigfoot was going to be a bomb because the invasion on Chestnut Ridge found an audience on Prime, but on like when it was for sale or whatever, it didn't make anything. And um, same with Boggy and Beast of Whitehall and Minerva were too early in the game for really <clears throat> for me to tell if they were going to be if they were successful based on our current way of doing things like yeah they were they were great because they picked up local press and they sold dvds or whatever but i don't know if today we put those out if they would be considered a success but um yeah i was convinced on the trail of bigfoot was going to be this huge not a huge well we were never concerned about it being a flop because it cost basically cost three grand to make and then there was another additional bit of money that went into like the poster artist and stuff like that um so we didn't think it would lose money but i didn't think it would make that much and um and then it came out and now it's like the biggest thing we've ever done um such a trip yeah and i'm really glad about that too because that that style of filmmaking is what i really like i i like just picking up my camera and going and doing something it's i love making the movies like at Mothman and Terror in the Skies and that kind of stuff. But we put so much time and effort into making sure everything looks really good that it kind of drains the fun out of it in a way for me. Yeah. And, um, I can feel that. Yeah. And like interview setups. Yeah. Interview setups and all that get really exhausting. And I'm, I already really stress with interviews. Um, it's, it's like the most stressful part of filmmaking for me is doing interviews, which is interesting because we shot 29 for on the trailer. <laughs> um, but I, I'll get so stressed out going into it. And then when you're also spending like, I'm not kidding, like a, a, an interview setup can take two hours oh, and, yeah. um, on a movie. And for us, that's like that entire time I'm like freaking out. Like, is this going <laughs> to, this going to look terrible? Like, and, um, and then you put it, and what's funny is you'll put it out and like, no matter how good it looks, you'll still get some person like just leaving an offhanded comment somewhere. Like, why do you shoot this? Why, why is the one <laughs> camera pointed up her nose? And like, you know, like we didn't spend hours trying to figure out how to do it. Right. So. And that's, it's funny to me because most document documentaries of this style mm-hmm. or these topics are shitty. And you, you guys are like f- far and above everything else, pretty much in the industry. Mm, you know you. what I mean? Like you go onto Amazon Prime and you watch anything else on Bigfoot other than, you know, like the high budget TV shows where they're kind of scripting everything. Mm. But you go to like normal documentaries and it's like, I mean, granted, these people are making it on like no money, but mm. there's no comparison in production. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff has to do with the fact that um, I hate everything I do. So, like, <laughs> So like you pick it apart. It's funny because I've watched. It was one of those guys we were talking about. It was like Casey or Peter or, or Levi talking about how they can't. They watch back over it, and all they see are the faults. And so when when you only see the faults, you're you're always trying to improve, right? And um, so there's like a weird masochism involved in in like the way in the way we shoot and you know or make movies, and it's because like I'll. Every single 
thing we do, I pick apart myself. So by the time Momo came out and all of these critics or whatever, you know, we're, we're going off on it. Um, I had already sort of seen a lot of the things that, that people could pick at, you know, so it didn't do me any good. I mean, most, and, and honestly, most of the people that, that didn't like Momo just didn't get it. Like it's right. a weird, it is a weird movie for a weird audience. It's, it's for people like me who, who love seventies movies and love driving movies and love, uh, television, like paranormal television. Lyle's entire sections are just poking fun at paranormal TV, you know? Yep. And then the, the movie, totally the vibe of basically the legend of Boggy Creek. Yeah. And yeah. those type of movies where, you know, it's like, uh, you know, actually, you know what I was thinking when I was watching this? What do you think audiences in the 70s thought when they were watching these things? Because, you know, like the, the acting wasn't good. Yeah. The production wasn't good, but yeah. like there was no... But I don't think... They just I didn't think, expect it, right? Well, I think audiences back then might have been a little easier to scare. <laughs> that's true. Um, and I think because the world, maybe that's because the world has gotten so dark today. Maybe people just aren't as easy to scare. But also, I mean, you've got stuff like Saw out there. you know. And I've never watched any of those. It I happen. haven't either. I can't deal with gore. Um, but It's boring. He's doing something that he hasn't done before in the sense that he's he's become more human to them. Yeah, and you know, like he's he we know we know him of him as like a great songwriter and a lyricist and writer in general. Uh but you know with with art you get the you you have uh, an incubation period and you can take your time and you can have your editor look at it and then eventually it comes out and it's in a fully fleshed out form. I mean, you can do that only so much with question and answer like I think you're probably getting more of the realness of the way he actually thinks um, in that format, which is probably the, the whole idea of it anyway. And it's very interesting when you think about you're interested in somebody like Nick Cave because of music, you know, like he's a persona. But then where that ends up leading you to, or his journey in particular ends up leading you to, is this place where that persona is completely ripped away. So you end up with Nick Cave that's just Nick Cave which is what he started as before the music. So it's almost like he brings you on a journey back to who he always was. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah. I think it's very rare too. It is. Yeah. We, we, I think it kind of comes down to uh, how, you know, how much, how much we, we hide about ourselves. Um, And I think that sometimes like if you, go too far into um, trying to project confidence or project a certain persona. Um, and, and that persona starts to deviate from what's actually happening underneath the surface. That's when, um, you know, you can get lost um, and maybe even to some extent destructive either towards yourself or towards others. You know, um, the other, I think it was yesterday sometimes it's hard to keep track of the days. Uh, I've, I had this idea. Uh, I was going to take, you know, there's certain bands or maybe bands isn't the right word, certain artists that are quintessential to you. You know, like uh, for me, the Rolling Stones is always going to be one of my favorite bands of all time. And 
I started thinking about it. I'm like, how often, how much time do I spend listening to those artists instead of just filtering around, listening to random things, which is so easy and awesome with streaming. But how much time do I spend invested in just those main artists? And the answer I came up with was unsatisfactory, right? Like that's just not enough time. So I, I made a playlist and literally I just took, I originally started, I'm like, I'll find the top 10 artists for me. And I'm going to put their entire catalog into a playlist. And then I'm just going to shuffle that whenever I want to listen to music. So that I'm always getting stuff from... And like learn their catalogs better. Getting the goods. And of course, that top 10... I couldn't get to top 10. It ended up being like top 25 bands. (laughs) But what I noticed after putting that together and playing it for a little while is there's one thing that's common almost among all the ones that I particularly picked. That there's something broken about all of their music. And it's something that you and I talked a little bit about last time was um, you were you were learning to deal with imperfection. And that was in my mind as I was listening to this and realizing that, like, oh my God, it's it's the imperfection of these artists that I like. Yeah. You know, it's like the, it's the later Pearl Jam that's really interesting when they try not to write pop songs. It's the, you know, it's the, the Rolling Stones when they're kind of falling apart because of of heroin addiction. You know, that they write these amazing songs because the songs aren't perfect. Um, there's just there's pavement who has never written a song that is normal. There's all these little broken pieces, and that's what's interesting. Yeah, you know, you don't want to see. I, was, I saw something. Um, this conversation is fluid, Chad. So I'm going to say this. I saw. I saw, I saw something about how. Like Sony Music, or I don't forget what it was, was 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 using AI to like just make drum beats or something, or to like sort of just robotic drums for to record music, etc. And uh, I'm sh- I'm sure that's just going to like take off, and you know, um, I'm sure record companies, if they can edit people out of the situation, they will <laughs> because they have to pay people; they don't have to pay robots. Well, it's been done so many times before where they'll bring in band members of bands. Like, oh, you guys aren't good enough. So they'll literally bring in another band to play that band's music on the record. Yeah, I, you know, I remember um, when, and I won't mention this band's name. They probably know who they are. Uh, uh, <laughs> there, there, there was a lot of drum editing going on and, uh, and it, it was, it was, uh, it, 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 it you know, it's become the norm for, for, for most, I think for a lot of, um, most mainstream music for a lot of mainstream music. So I don't, I don't like blame them for going that route, but I always remember being like, damn, that's why play? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to replace everything. But it, you know, as it relates to what you were saying, it's like, you can't, you know, the janky guitar is always going to sound like way better than uh, something that's, absolutely been perfect and done a hundred thousand times you know the fact that kurt hammett played the solo for um nothing else matters you know he's like slaving his way trying to come up with a solo for it and bob rocks just shaking his head and lars is just like this sucks and eventually he fucking writes improvises like this this solo that we're just we're going to know for the rest of our lives. It's like they got that on tape. Uh, no fucking robots going to, going to replace that. I don't think. No. I mean, I talked to, 
there was an episode I did with Jennifer Otter, Dr. Jennifer Otter Bickerdyke, and she's um, she studied music. Like she's a, she's a doctor in the study of music. And over there, ten minutes or so, just for patrons, talking about stuff that I don't particularly feel like sharing with the entire world. So I'm saving some specific things to talk about with patrons. So check that out. You can also go to the Lend a Hand page on my website. And uh, there's 10 different ways that you can help this show in addition to becoming a patron. Examples are turning someone on to this podcast, telling them about this podcast, getting them to subscribe to this podcast because that's the only way I really get new listeners because I'm not going to pay Facebook. I don't even have a Facebook. I couldn't even pay Facebook. And you can also, another way, is the rate and review. I don't really know what it does, but uh, it couldn't hurt. That's the way I always say it. Is that the way I always say it? No, that's the way I always think about it. It's not the way I always say it. (laughs) My logic, my tongue and my logic are falling away from each other. So it's time time to call it a night. Talk to you guys whenever I return. Um, yeah, I grew up in Wisconsin in the Milwaukee area, and it's easy to say I was very much a majority white European, but interesting. And I knew there was a broader world out there. I also saw a different kind of diversity in that, in that part of the country. They celebrated diversity of different, you know, European backgrounds, whereas in California, and I'll get sort of mushed together. You're all white Europeans, right? In Wisconsin, <laughs> every weekend there was like Polish Fest and Irish Fest and German Fest and Italian Fest and uh, all these different uh, Czech and it was just, there was diversity there, even though you, know, you and I flying over might look at it and say it's a very homogenous place. So I, I do think wherever you land, um, I suspect that, that that leaders and, and good people have appreciation diversity for diversity and are curious about it and, and seek it out, or, or they should. It seems like in the little bit we've we've chatted that you're just a very open and generous person. Do you think that that is an important quality to have in the type of work that you do? Do you think that you need to be able to make a genuine relationship with people kind of and talk freely like you were talking about before? Do you think that that's important for everyone or just for people in specific roles? Yes, great question. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. I I suspect it's open and important for everyone. You know, I, I suspect as you get on with your career, um, it's, it's easier for some people to then become more generous and, and generative. I think kind of just rooted in what your life or world view is. I think as I was coming up, I just, I just really believed that the way to contribute to the world um, is to help others do what they do best, help others make their contribution, help others get into their higher, better self. So if there's ways when you go about your your work day or your week that you can 
help other people achieve their potential and really bring what they have to bring and have confidence to bring it fully. But that that's that's the way you can have a tremendous multiplier impact in the world. And ultimately that's the way I think you help yourself and you help your yourself progress and move forward in, in life, whether that's recognition that you're seeking or achievement that you're seeking or impact that you're seeking. You know, none of us do this work alone. And it's by connecting with others to think at the end of the day, we just have a deep human need for connection. And that can happen in our personal life and our family lives. But if you can help people in work situations connect to each other, connect to something that's bigger than themselves, and then you know have an enjoyable time doing it, that that's gold. And people will keep coming.